positive confession tonight. You know, we rode by the Rama Church over there, and it just swelled up within me. And I'm not putting that down, but I'm telling you what, my positive confession tonight is that our families can and will and must come to Jesus. Amen. I mean, I, I, and I want to challenge you tonight uh, that God will just well up in you a new focus, a new desire, a new drive, a new excitement that no matter what's going on, no matter where they are, maybe you'll put one of them next to me on an airplane. Maybe you'll put someone, maybe your family lives in another country or another city. I believe God will arrange the circumstances if you do what God's word says and you can see them come to Christ. I, I, I sense that in my spirit. And if you didn't pick up one of the books this morning, The Five Keys to Reaching Your Family for Christ, it will be a little bit of an amplification on the message tonight. Smelling that chili wafting into the building sort of, it's, it's, it's a big fight. You know, we've, we've got to get through the word here and, and, and accomplish it. But you can pick that up. And I, I didn't say it in the first service, but I said it in the second service. If you don't have the money, you can take one for free. That's how vital I believe that you should read this over and over again. Get it down in your spirit. And if you have children that you've raised in the church... And for whatever the reason, they've, they've moved away maybe, uh, from the Lord or they're just sort of apathetic in their walk. This is a book that they can read and it won't, all of a sudden they'll be reading it and they'll say, this Holy Spirit will speak to them and say, hey, that's me. Uh, so, uh, and pray with, pray with me that the book will have a great message in the world today because it's the number one thing people are looking for. Let's pray and believe God. Father, I thank you tonight for this opportunity. I thank you for this church. I thank you for its marvelous history and the marvelous men and women who have given leadership over the years. And Lord, we thank you for Pastor Ron and his wife and his family. Lord, as they take and move it to the next level, as you, you've had it worked out in your heart to see this church shake this region in the world for Christ. And Lord, we pray that this message tonight will be a part of, a small part, but maybe even a, a large part of encouragement and we're, we're believing you. We're seeing already in the spirit that people are being prepared. Family members are being prepared to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts is the history book of the New Testament. How many knew that? And in most of, and a lot of, or most of the ancient manuscripts, and the, end of, the book of Acts does not end in a period. That means that we are to continue to write chapters in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. We are continually writing new chapters, not to be included in the canon of Scripture, but to be included in heaven's plan to reach this planet for Jesus Christ. And uh, the most important thing to all of us is that we see our family come to Christ. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was on TBN with Rich Wilkerson, and Rich is... Uh, He's like my little brother. His father led me to Christ. He led my sister and my brother to Christ. Uh, he was a part of leading our family to Christ uh, through a, a situation I'll just briefly tell you about in a few moments. But as, and we were there talking about these keys to reaching your family for Christ. Now, Rich has four boys. They're all serving God. I have two children, and they're both serving God. But I, I just set it up this way. We didn't know if it was going to get bleeped or not. It wasn't that bad, but you never know. Uh, and uh, I was saying to Rich, because I know his children, I said, Rich, let's just hypothetically say that your four children are not saved, and let's hypothetically say my children aren't saved. Now, if God were to say to me, Arnie, you can pick Rich's four boys or your two kids to accept Christ. 
Who do you think I choose? I choose mine. I'm sorry. In fact, I told Rich, I said, Rich, you know, if your kids had to go to hell so mine could get to heaven, are you there? Now, it's sort of cold, isn't it? But, you know, we have, what we have is we have a, a strong desire for our families to serve Christ. And I want to tell you this. When your family is serving the Lord, you are rich. I'm a rich man. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely wealthy. Not in finances, but my family is serving God. And I want to tell you what, that's the greatest thing. I've met some people who have untold wealth and their kids aren't serving God. I spoke on the phone with, and I'm going to get you his name. He's, a, he's an oil man. He lives not too far from here. Shut up uh, at home. He's been sick. Loves God with all of his heart. He's got all the money in the world, but his kids aren't serving God. And his heart's breaking as he, as he moves toward death's door. I sent him a copy of the book, and he called me back, and he said, thanks. I'm going to apply every one of those keys. See, so we want to make you all extremely wealthy tonight and have all your family come to Christ so you can stand before your friends and say, I'm a rich man. I'm a rich woman. Amen? Let's jump right into this right away. Won't take real long. Now, hopefully, how many of you prepared a little list to, to bring to the altar tonight? That's a lot of you. And if you didn't, there's paper and pen, uh, or, or just write it on something. I even understand, one of the, the men who's been in the church a long time told me that underneath this platform, uh, when they, as they were building it, some of you that were in the church at that time uh, put names of family members in there that needed Christ. So, man, you know, we're stand, I'm standing on the promises right now. And we're going to add some depth to that with these lists of people that you put together. Acts chapter 16 History book of the New Testament. Let's, let's just see God. Let's, let's shake the enemy's kingdom tonight. Because the one thing that he does not want is your family to come to Christ. He wants you miserable. He wants you laying your head on the pillow at night thinking, is my son going to heaven? What's he doing? What's she doing? Is my brother? Is my uncle? That's my mom and dad. And I believe this is a promise. And I believe every promise in the book is true. I believe it says in the word of God that God is not a man that he should lie. So when he gives us promises, we stand on them. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Verse 16. Now Paul and Silas are, are going up to, to prayer. And it says in verse 16, now it happened. Say it happened. <laughs> you know, church is a happening place. God is a happening God. Now it happened as we went up to prayer. If you're, if you're jotting down the keys, now they're in the book and but the first key, if you want to see your family come to Christ, is prayer. Prayer. you got to pray. you got to believe God. you gotta, you got to stand against the, the forces of hell. And I, and I believe you need to pray every day. You need to make lists. I actually have a list in one of my study Bibles with tons of family names on there. My mother comes from a family of 16 children. No twins, no litters at one time, just one big group. All right, that's a lot of kids. 20 years ago, I had my grandmother's funeral. At that time, she had 169 grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Man, by now, if we ran the numbers, we could build a mega church just getting my mother's family saved. All right? You got to pray. You got to make lists. You got to believe God. I tell some stories in the book about uh, some of those who have found Christ as we have prayed. And I pray, and it's one of the things I do first in the morning. I'm into firstness. I believe God is in the firstness. He wants the first part of your money. Hello? Amen. Come on now. Man, looking at your report, 
your financial report looks like a lot of you understand that. Amen. So you pray. The Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea was built on prayer. Dr. Cho's mother-in-law used to, they, they live in compounds over there, and he, he would always tell us how she, he would, he, she would come and knock on their door at 4.30 in the morning, and they would pray every morning. She had, he had no choice. Cho, get up, get up, get up, get up, we're going to pray. I was there a, a number of years ago when she passed away, and he, uh, she was a great woman of God, and he, of course, was very sad because he loved his mother-in-law. Like all of us, we just think the world of our mother-in-laws, you know. Uh, he said to us, I can now sleep until 6 in the morning. She's not going to be pounding on my door anymore. But they built that church on prayer, Prayer Mountain, 10,000 people praying around the clock. And, and it, it really has loosened up that whole attitude over the whole region there in South Korea. They pray to, to keep that crazy guy in South Korea. I mean, they, they have to pray and pray. But when you pray for family and you begin to zero in and you call them by name and you begin to believe God, it happened as we went to prayer. Now I was raised a Lutheran. I believed in the Trinity. I believed that Jesus died on the cross. I believed it all. I was confirmed. I was president of the Luther League. But you know what? I didn't know Jesus. And then, a, then a, a, a situation happened. I was in college. My oldest sister graduated in high school when she was 14. She was brilliant. She just turned 14 when she graduated from high school. I was close to 19 when I got out. I mean, by the time the gene pool got to me, things had slipped considerably. <laughs> she graduated from high school when she was 14. College, when, just, when she turned 17, married an engineer and uh, had her first child when she was 20, her second child when she was 22. When she was pregnant for her third child, she's 24 years old, she found a lump on her neck. This was in 1964, 65, and uh, went into the hospital. Back then, they kept you in the hospital, uh, did the uh, biopsy, kept her there until they found the results. The doctor came into her room, pulled the curtain because there was another lady in the other bed and told my sister that, she would be lucky to live long enough to birth her third child. She was about five months pregnant at the time. She lived two years, but that lady in the other bed was a Christian. And after my brother-in-law left later that night, she said to my sister, I, I can't help but hear what was shared. And she shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with my sister, invited her to church. David Wilkerson was preaching at the church and she gave her life to Christ. She lived two years and brought over 200 people into First Assembly of God Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin. She would go out and share her testimony. She led my mom and dad to the Lord three days before she died in the hospital. She had them kneel at her hospital bed, and they prayed the sinner's prayer. And both my mother was in her late 40s. My dad was in his mid-50s. You see how God works. I shudder to think if Millie Scott would have not shared Jesus Christ. She led my brother to the Lord, and... Uh, Two days before she died, she said to my, my brother, I believe God would save anybody but Arnie. <laughs> and I thought I was a pretty nice guy. But you know what? I had this exterior. I made fun of him. I called him Holy Rollers. I, I, you're going to one of those crazy churches. But you know what? Inside, my insides were crying out, I want what they have. And three months after her funeral, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And you know, prayer works. I don't know if God has given my sister the opportunity to get a glance. I'm sure people that I've led to Christ have made it to heaven and gone out and said, hey, you know that guy you didn't believe? 
He's crazy. I mean, he's, are you there? That's how God works. Come on now. But see, so many times we pray, but then we think of the body language of people, and we don't really get into it. I asked my father one time, and my dad became a, a vital Christian, loved the Lord with all of his heart. And uh, I asked him one time, I said, Dad, you know, I wonder who prayed for us. And it was almost like his eyes just got big all of a sudden. And he told me a story, and I repeat it in the book, but it, it's important to know. His grandmother was a godly little Baptist lady, lived in northeastern Wisconsin on a, in a farm. And his father married my grandmother, who was a Lutheran, brought him into the Lutheran church, and, and he just moved away from that fundamental born-again faith. And my dad said when he was a little boy, he would go to his grandma's house and spend the night, and she would say to him, Arnold, just going to church is not enough. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And then he told me in, in, when he would go into the little place where he would sleep, and he could hear his grandmother praying through the walls, God, touch Arnold, touch his future family, bring him into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you see, prayer works. And, you know, it, she was dead almost 40 years when my sister accepted Jesus Christ. Delays are not denials. You pray. Now, it happened when we went up to prayer. That's prayer. That's the first key, and I've got to move along. So they went up to prayer. A certain girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her at this... And, she, and he came out that very hour. Now, first of all, you pray. The second key is this. When you start going after your family, and in general, not only your family, but when you get involved in what this church really wants to move you into, what I talked about this morning, reaching people for Christ, the enemy is going to target you and try to discourage you and bring every possible thing he can against you to get you off that firing line because that's what he wants to see happen. So that Paul, this girl, gives this testimony. On the surface, when you read the testimony, it's pretty good. I mean, if your pastor and I were walking down the street and some crazy little girl was following after us saying, well, Pastor Arnie and Pastor Ren are, are men of the Most High God and they're bringing you the way of salvation, we might have grabbed her and took her on TBN and have her share the testimony. But first of all, as you read on, Paul sensed in his spirit where she was at. That, and and she, had, she was demon-possessed. You see, God is not looking for a testimony from the devil. He's not looking for a word from the devil. He's looking for a word from you and I. But when we get involved in this, expect demonic opposition. i got to be honest with you. When my son came into my office and told me that he wanted to go to Salt Lake City to, to, to found a church, first of all, I knew he wasn't smoking marijuana, he wasn't on drugs, he wasn't on alcohol, you know what I mean? But you know, to be honest, I tried to say, now son, look at here. You know, your dad's worked awful hard these 14 years, and, and you've got a great communication gift, and, and the people at the church love you, and they love you even in spite of me, and, and I'm, I'm telling you what, are you sure you want to do this? Now, I, I can't say I was speaking for the devil, but I want to tell you this. The devil does not want to see people come to Christ. He doesn't want to see Utah shaken. And in, 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 a, in a similar vein, but different, he doesn't want to see this city experience what I believe is a legitimate revival of God. Now, revival is not for the lost. Revival is for you so that you get a hold of the heart of God and you go after lost people with a vengeance. 
and, and, and you begin to believe and you begin to walk your neighborhoods and you begin to pray and you get to work early and pray and you get to school early and you pray and then you go after it. But you know what happens? So many times people get discouraged. They'll start out, they'll make their lists, they'll pray, and then they, they start doing it, and all of a sudden they're getting kicked back from everywhere. You know, the Bible says when you suffer persecution, you should rejoice. I've learned when that stuff happens, bring it on. Old Slewfoot himself could walk right down that aisle right now, and I could say to him in the name of Jesus, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back. I could do my best Clint Eastwood on him, make my day. You see, the reality, friends, is we have greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and the church has caved in and become cowards. We become cowards around our family. Many times we go to these family gatherings. Our family. You know what Wisconsin's famous for? It's not the Packers, really. It's for what they brew. More alcohol is consumed per capita in the state of Wisconsin than any other state in the union. My first church was in a little bitty town called Merrill, Wisconsin, 9,502 people. There were 247 taverns in the city limits. You divide that into the population, about every 250 people had their own private club. And so when we got saved, man, God cleaned us up, cleaned our family up. We would go to gatherings. At gatherings there, one of the big things is they set up a quarter barrel of beer. They got all kinds of stuff, and we, we didn't do this. They made fun of us. They called us Holy Joes. And, oh, you go to one of those churches that they want, they want your money. And they make fun of you. But you know what? We had what they needed, and a lot of them have seen it, and a lot of them have come to Christ. But you see, we can't stop because we get that demonic opposition. And I'm not telling you that when you go after it, and man, you start to grow, and families start to change, and family members get saved, then other family members will rise up like I did and make fun of the other family members. And the enemy just plays right into that. And so many Christians have gotten so tired of it that they just pull back and say, you know what, I'm just going to leave it alone. Friends, it's time we re-engage. It's time we take back the, the ground that the enemy has taken. You know, in the old warfare battles, it was, let's go get the hill. Let's take the hill back. Let's take this thing back. Well, you know, there is no force. Nothing can stop us. First key is what? Prayer. Second key, demonic opposition. Let's read on here. But when their masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Now, why are these guys so, so upset? You see, this little girl, was, it says in the Word, was making them a lot of money. They were pimping her gift. I said pimping church, forgive me, but are, are you there? In other words, they were making money off of her gift. They were, they, and, and they became upset and enraged. Third key is, when you begin to pray, and when you come against the devil, and things start happening, expect an uproar. Look, look at the uproar that's created. Now, these guys were doing terrible things, right? They came to pray. Oh, that's a bad thing. They came up against this little girl who was possessed of, of a spirit of divination, and, and Paul spoke to the spirit. And by the way, let me just go back at this and let, tell you one thing. He didn't say to the little girl, you're a jerk, you're a bad girl. He came against the enemy in her. You see, sometimes we get so disgusted with people who act, in our family especially, that are doing crazy things and acting foolish, that we actually get upset with them. Friends, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We, we don't wrestle. It's, 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 it's not them. It's, it's, it's the sickness of the enemy. I'm not saying they're demon-possessed, but what I'm telling you is don't get mad at them. 
And if you can handle all that and treat them with respect and care and integrity, no matter what they throw at you, God uses that. So expect an uproar. The up uproar just really begins to unfold here. And they brought the men, them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. I think in the NIV it says, these men are creating an uproar in our city. One, can't, I can't wait to hear the reports. The assembly is creating an unbelievable uproar in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. They're, they're creating an uproar. Man, they are creating an uproar. They're creating an uproar in families, not only that are in the city limits here and other places. Lives are being changed. They're creating an uproar. You know that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. I'm going to tell you what, sometimes I'd rather have someone pop me right in the kisser than say bad stuff about me. You know what I mean? And you're going to get that. You'll create an uproar in your family. We have over the years created an uproar in our family. But what I found out is many of our family members in northeastern Wisconsin were watching me on television. I led one of my uncles to the Lord about six hours before he died. I felt prompted of the Spirit to go visit him. I prayed for him for years. One of my mother's brothers walked in. Hospice had been there. and He looked up at me and I said, Uncle Kelvin, I've come to pray for you. And he's very weak. And he said, you know, Arnie, he said, I, I'm very, very sick. And I said, I've just been praying for you for years. I, and he, he, he was a Lutheran. And I said, you know, I know you go to church. But, you know, that's not enough. You need to give your life to Christ. He said, you know, I watch you on TV all the time. And he said, I pray that prayer, but I just want to be sure. And I took his hand. His daughter was there, his wife, son-in-law, and my mother. And we, right at that hospital bed, Uncle Kelvin got saved. His daughter got saved. His son-in-law got saved. They had a two-month-old little baby. We dedicated the baby right at the hospital bed. The next morning, my mother came into church, eyes red. I said, Mom, what's wrong? She said, Uncle Kelvin passed away at 3 o'clock this morning. We had left there that evening. You see, that was an answer to a prayer that I've been praying for a long time. But I remember years earlier when Uncle Kelvin was one of those that was making fun of us because we created an uproar in the family. And they're teaching customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten. Now, I mean, that's, this is, that's quite an uproar, isn't it? Now, I have sort of a strange mind. You maybe have picked that up already. I don't know if it's age. I think I've always been this way. But I'm thinking to myself, how much of their clothes did they tear off? I mean, did they take them down to their tidy whiteies? Or, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, by this time, the average Christian would be saying, man... All I did was go pray. All I did was pray a prayer, and that demon-possessed girl was gone, and now here we are, and they're stripping our clothes off us, they're humiliating us, and they're beating the snot out of us. And those in Philippi there, they, they knew how to give them a good old beating. You talk about an uproar. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, I did a quite a little study on this whole prison system back there. Now, when we, see, when we think of prison today, we think of a cell, a commode, a sink, a mirror maybe, and a bed, and bars. 
The innermost part of, this, of the prison was where they put the worst of the worst, the pedophiles, the murderers, the rapists, the insurrectionists, the traitors. Bad spot. Now, they didn't have restrooms and commodes. Open sewage would be running through little ditches that were carved into the uh, cold stone floors. Rats, bug infested. Are you with me? I mean, this was a bad place. Just, just thinking about it and the smells. And then here these guys are beaten and bruised and stinging and hurting because of the uproar that they created. But see, they didn't stop. This leads us into our next key, the fourth key. What's the first key? Second key? Third key? All right, boy, you're right with me. You must want that chili pretty bad. <laughs> but at midnight, they're in the jail, they're in this terrible, horrific place. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners listened to them. The fourth key is spiritual worship. You see, what you did here tonight is not a song service. It's not some excellent instrumentalist playing very well. It's not an excellent singer and his wife and the team uh, scintillating us with their excellence. And they really are good. But you see, there's something about worship that moves you to a place. And so I, I challenge you to really get involved in worship. It, remind, it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah went to the temple, the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, you might not know this, but Uzziah was his cousin, his first cousin. Uzziah, at one time, as you study the story, had been a great king. Man, he was really doing great. But then narcissism, narcissism and a modern word for it, narcissist means you stare in a pool and say, look at how beautiful I am. And, but yet he became full of himself and ego. And, and all of a sudden, he went into the temple one day and was burning incense to himself. And the, and, and the priest said, you can't do that. And he kept doing it. And about that time, he broke out in leprosy. And they moved him out. And the lepers were always put on the outside of the city. People would walk around them and, and scream out, leper, leper, unclean, unclean. So he went from the pinnacle of the palace to the pit of leprosy. And Isaiah was grief-stricken, not only by the fact that he had died, but how his life had been so great and then hit such depths. And that day, when it, the Bible says, when he went into the temple, it was unbelievable. I mean, angels were flying around. Man, it was something. You know, I, I tell you what, I've been in worship services, and you have the potential here. And as you grow this church, don't you be ashamed to bring people in. Don't you be afraid, afraid to jump and hop a little bit. Remember that movie, White Man Can't Jump? I can get about three inches off the ground myself. I mean, don't be ashamed of your worship service. I want to tell you what. Let me just tell you my own story. After my sister's funeral, I was not saved. It was unbelievable. There was, the, the church was packed. The balcony was packed. Pastor Wilkerson preached a message. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. And uh, I'll never forget that whole time in there. And then that Sunday, uh, a few Sunday nights before my sister died, before she went in the hospital, I went to one of their Sunday night services. And I had never heard music like that. It was more what the Gaithers are doing now, but you know, that's what it was then. It was pretty cool back then. 
Not that it's bad today either, you know, I'm just... But I remember sensing something as those people worshipped and as that worship leader led in worship. And even though I had this look of disdain and this is crazy, that worship service touched me. Just like when Isaiah went into the temple as a legitimate prophet and things are happening and, man, this is unbelievable. And in the midst of that, he got so caught up and he's a legitimate prophet and he says, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And then there was a series of events and, and one of the angels touched him on the mouth with a burning coal and he said, send me. I will go. Send me. And I want to tell you what a good worship service should send you out the door and then fire you up to reach your family, reach your friends, reach everybody. It should just so charge you up. Charge you up. And it's not the length, but it's the power and the authority and the dynamic. So the fourth key is spiritual worship. Man, these guys start singing chorus. I mean, and you know what? I've had people tell me, oh, pastor, you know, I didn't feel like worshiping today, you know, I got a headache, or, I, I, you know, I'm not feeling good, or I lost my job, or it's just, just been a bad week. You know what I say to them? That's when you should be worshiping God. That's when you really need to get involved. That's when you really need to get engaged. Man, it isn't about feelings. It's about getting after it and, and, and pushing through and working through. If anybody had a reason not to crack the songbook that night, it was Paul and Silas. Rats, human excrement, bugs, the worst of the worst surrounding them. I mean, my goodness, they should have been out with the people that got parking tickets on their chariots, not just be pushed in the middle of this place. Can you think, are you all right? What time is, oh man, I got 10 minutes yet. And we're to the fifth key. This is exciting. So they have this worship service and they sang hymns. A lot of us older people would like that. Uh, suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And by the way, underline in your Bibles, if you're taking notes, the prisoners listened. These rapists, these murderers, these plunders, these lunatics, these... these uh, terrorists, they listened. I want to tell you, good worship that's anointed of God will get under the skin of the vilest sinner. Hallelujah. And the place was shaken. Immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's chains were loosed. 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 It's getting late. I'm older. And uh, <clears throat> now I, I look at this. Now let's just say, friends, that I was in that prison with those guys. Let's say I had knocked off the, the first bank of Philippi. And I had stuck a, a, a sword into one of the tellers, and I'm in 25 to life for bank robbery and, and murder. And I'm listening to these guys singing, and all of a sudden the place is shaking. I look down, my feet are free, the doors fly open. Guess what I'm going to do, friends? I'm going to go through that door so fast. I'm going to knock someone off their chariot. Man, I'm getting out of there. But... There was such an anointing, such a powerful thing. You see, even that group of criminals could not move. And see, as you begin to apply these five keys to your life, uh, and, and there'll be such a power that people that normally wouldn't even listen to you now are going to listen. Maybe they want to get up in their flesh and run, but something will hold them. You see, you've got to apply it. This is, this is not standing in front of a microwave and waiting for it to happen. I can't tell you your boy's coming back to God tomorrow, but I'll tell you what, there's a promise that he will come back. But see, that's what worship can do. It can hold you. It can hold you.
I turned on the TV this morning, and there was some quartet singing the old song, Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. You see, and through it all, my friends, we can trust that a God who loves us and promised us things. Now, the jailer, the keeper of the prison, verse 27, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, that's pretty drastic. It'd be like if someone opened the doors of a jail here and then all of a sudden the, the head of the jail decides to kill himself. The reason for that was they had this little rule back there. If you're a jailkeeper or a warden and you lost a prisoner, they killed you. Now, why, why, why did he want to kill himself? The Romans knew how to kill you slow. He felt, man, if I'm going to die. I'll run myself through, get it over quickly. Paul, the Bible says, shouted, do yourself no harm. We're all here. He called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't even have a chance to give him Romans 3, 23, 6, 9, 10, 9, and 10, and John 3, 16. I mean, you know, he couldn't even pull out his little four spiritual laws tract and say, hey, this is what it's about. I'm telling you, when this thing gets on a roll, they're going to be coming running to you. What have you been drinking like I talked about this morning? And you can say, they're going to say, what must I do to be saved? Your family members will come. They'll call you. They'll come to your house when you begin to apply this stuff. And I believe it's going to happen. I close with this story. And I've had this happen to me more than once, but this was so graphic, I touched on it a little bit this morning. It was back in many years ago when I pastored in Salt Lake City, years ago. There was a little Baptist pastor's wife who came to our church. Her husband had died. She found him dead in the doorway of their home, and she'd been out for a walk. They pastored a little Baptist church, and that Baptist church said to her after her husband died, we just soon have you go somewhere else because we're bringing someone new in. And so she did. She came to our church. She was raised in upstate New York uh, back in the 20s and 30s. Her parents were godly Christians. They took him to church. She had a brother, her only brother named Johnny. Johnny was called into the ministry. He went into the Navy during World War II and became an alcoholic. They had a very successful family bakery. He came home and took over the bakery, got married. But his alcohol overwhelmed him. He ran the family business into the ground and actually became a stumble-bum drunk on the streets. Didn't know where he was. And after Ruth's husband had died, somehow he made it to Salt Lake City. One day he stood at her door, disheveled, dirty, smelly, pathetic. And Ruth took him in and made a little room for him, cleaned him up. But whenever he'd get his little government pension or his Social Security check, he would be back on the bottle. She would call us many times, and a couple staff members would go over and He'd wet himself and other unspeakable things and vomit over his body, and we'd hold him up in the shower and we'd hose him down and put him in his bed, and he'd be good for two weeks, and this cycle continued. One Saturday afternoon, I was watching a football game, and Ruth became like a surrogate grandparent to our children. And I was watching a college football game. It's not easy to get me away from a football game. Something in my spirit just said, go to Ruth's. I, I heard it. I said to my wife, Jan, I feel like i got to go over and see Ruth. And she said, well, go ahead, honey. So I drove over, pulled in her driveway. She ran out the door. She said, Pastor, I can't believe you're here. I just called Jan a minute ago. Johnny's dying. Johnny's dying. 
I went down the stairs to the little room in her basement where she had prepared his bed. He was laying on the bed, and you could see that he didn't have much time left. And he was repeating over and over again, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I knelt down next to him. I said, Johnny, and he said, Pastor Arnie, I said, you need to give your life to Christ. You need to give your life back to Jesus. And he nodded his head, and he prayed the sinner's prayer with me. And as God is my witness, when he said amen, he breathed his last breath. God prompted me to go over there. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. But he's in heaven today. But think about this. He had godly mom and dad back in the 30s praying for him. They prayed for him until they, until they died in the late 1950s. Here in the mid-80s, this stumble-bum, pathetic son, the prodigal, came home. You see, that's a promise. Can you imagine the scene in heaven when Johnny walked through the gates and said, I want to see my mom and dad? Can you imagine? Man, it gives me goosebumps, friends. And that's, that's a promise to you. And what we're going to do right now is I, wa I want you to stand up with me, everyone. I want to give you about a minute or two, just a minute or two. The music team comes back. Play one of my favorites. It's whatever you do is one of my favorites. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Because, wait, I tell you what, we're, right now, the old enemy's saying, oh, no, he's at it again. You know what I mean? And I, if, you didn't, if you didn't get a chance and you, and you came in, you didn't know about this or you forgot or whatever, just take even a, a, an envelope or something in the back there. There's some pens. Jot down a couple names of family members. We've got paper if you need it. If you need some paper, raise your hand. Is there anybody? Yeah, we're just, I tell you, I want to encourage you to do this. And I'm telling you, it works. It works because the Word of God works. You know, there's a lot of times people make positive confessions about stuff that doesn't work. And I'm not here to put that down, but I'm telling you what. What did Jesus come to do? To seek and to save that which is lost. He made us promises. Remember that old chorus? Every promise in the book is true. Every promise in the book is true. Acts 16.31 and other companioning scriptures are a promise that we can see our families come to Christ. I can tell you in the spirit tonight, there are moms and dads here that have raised their kids for God. You brought them to Sunday school. You had them in Royal Rangers or Missionettes, and they were in youth group. And then something happened, and they drifted away. There's not many nights you lay your head on the pillow and you wonder, what's going to happen to Bill? What's going to happen to Mary? What about my grandkids that are, that are not being trained like I was trained? And I know it's hurtful and I know it breaks your heart. But I'm here to encourage you tonight that God will bring them home. I hope it's not they pray the sinner's prayer with their last breath. I pray that God will, will bring them in soon.